You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jackie Alamany, a congressional correspondent and author of The Early 202, The Washington Post's early morning newsletter. My guest this morning is the former chairman and top Republican of the powerful Ways and Means Committee in the House, Texas Congressman Kevin Brady. Welcome to Washington Post Live, Congressman Brady. Good to see Jackie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for for taking the time with us this morning. Let's start with the news that inflation surged 7% year over year in December. Those numbers are just out this morning, the fastest rate since 1982. What would you like to see the Biden administration do immediately to help those paying 7% more for goods than they were a year ago? Yeah, it it has been devastating, as you know, for families. I think a new study showed last year uh, the average family spent $3,500 more to buy the same products and services that they did the year before, that really hurts families in a big way. And you're seeing these same price increases uh, at small businesses who are now passing it on to their uh, consumers as well. And so I think uh, the short answer is first, I'm glad the administration and the Federal Reserve finally admits that inflation is here, it's high, and may not go away anytime soon. I think admitting your problem is important, but secondly, don't make it worse. And I am worried that in the Build Back Better uh, version that passed the House, uh, there are a number of provisions in there that actually create barriers uh, to getting workers back into the workplace uh, that will drive inflation up higher, make it almost systemic. No one wants to see that from either party. And so my advice to the president certainly would be, thank you for finally acknowledging it. Now, stop, stop the policies that would make it worse. So if not build back better, is there anything Congress can or should do? Yeah, so the first thing we should do is make sure that our programs to help people don't erect barriers to reconnecting to work. A good example would be the child tax credit created by Republicans working with Bill Clinton in 1997, both to help families with the cost of raising kids, but as importantly, an incentive uh, to reward work and reconnect uh, parents to a job and it worked beautifully. Uh, The current child tax credit uh, put in place for the pandemic uh, earlier in 21 actually removed the need for earnings or for work and in effect turned it into a significant welfare program. And as we uh, have discovered, it actually made it tougher for uh, businesses to hire workers. A number of them left and a new study shows that if that child tax credit were extended you know, without any connection to work, that we will see another one and a half million workers exit the workforce exactly at a time when you frankly desperately need all of them. And we know too, the, the greatest path, most direct path out of poverty is a good paying job with rising wages. And so that's an example of where the president needs to back off from a policy that I think could harm the economy. Would you support the child tax credit, though, if there was a a means test for it? So I would support it the way it has operated uh, successfully since 1997. And Republicans, as you may remember, we doubled the child tax credit to $2,000. We made it more refundable and indexed that to inflation. And we expanded it to more families to be able to use it. I think the, the smartest, best way to help those families is to make those reforms permanent, which include, by the way, that reward for reconnecting to jobs and earnings.
And seeing these inflation numbers this morning, do you think it was a mistake and potentially a liability going into midterms this year for your colleagues who voted yes on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which you voted against and, and urged your colleagues to vote against? Uh, a political uh, problem in what way, Jackie? Uh, just in terms of going onto the campaign trail and with these inflation numbers going up, being able to speak to why they supported a $1.75 trillion investment into the economy. Well, I'm, I'm not sure the infrastructure bill is not necessarily tied to inflation, but certainly the $2 trillion, nearly $2 trillion American Rescue Plan is Federal Reserve of San Francisco admitted as such. You know, that was not paid for. Uh, it was it was presented as a COVID, COVID bill to stimulate the economy. Turned out to do neither. Uh, less than a dime of every dollar actually went to COVID, and some of that was later diverted from the pandemic. Uh, and the rest, unnecessary spending that actually drove up inflation there. So I think the bigger uh, I think answering and reckoning for for uh, uh, members of Congress are who voted for that unpaid bill that drove up inflation and, and later voted for the Build Back Better bill, which uh, again, you know, is going to drive inflation up higher and make the labor shortage worse. So you don't think it was a mistake to support the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but you do think it would be a mistake to support Build Back Better going forward? Yeah, there's no question. I, I think, look, uh, every day people learn more about Build Back Better, the less support it has. And I think more telling, and I'm not sure why Democrats aren't paying attention to this. While individual provisions may be popular, most Americans believe it will do nothing to help them. They don't like what they're hearing about the tax increases on small businesses, uh, the tax increases that will frankly drive US jobs overseas, make it better to be a foreign company than an American one. Uh, they don't like the thought of, of in the child tax credit, essentially paying people not to work and encouraging them not to reconnect and they don't like the special interest provisions or the tax breaks for the wealthy. Uh, two out of three millionaires will see a huge tax break under Build Back Better. About one out of three middle class will see a tax increase. That's not what they were told uh, this president would focus on. And I think for most Americans, it's been a bitterly disappointing year, this first year of President Biden's. Uh, the economy, which should be soaring, he's bungled, uh, certainly has not managed the pandemic well. Uh, this administration's lurched from crisis to crisis, from border to crime. I think maybe more telling, Americans believe President Biden is a weak leader in this world at a time when, when they want to see strength. And so I think I've been here in Congress. This is now my 26th year. I don't think I've ever seen a more uh, partisan start to an administration and a worse first year than what we've seen under this president. And as you just noted, next week does mark the one year anniversary of Joe Biden becoming president with Dems controlling both chambers of Congress. If you had to give it a grade other than that, the worst first year you've seen, what would that grade be? You know, um, because he fell so short of every expectation from his promises to unite the country, um, to be competent in his leadership, which has proven not to be the case, where America, frankly, poll after poll shows Americans have lost 
confidence in his ability and competence to lead in so many different areas, um, you know, you, you would have to give him a solid D uh, in that regard. Uh, and the challenge is, is he going to change? You know, is he going to understand that he, there is an, an opportunity to lead in a bipartisan way? I think on the economy, on trade, on uh, retirement uh, security, uh, I think there's an opportunity to lead in a bipartisan way on becoming medically independent from China on crucial medical, medical uh, medicines and other uh, ingredients there. Uh, but I, I'm just, I, I don't believe the president or, or his advisors will allow him, and certainly congressional Democrats have no interest in working in a bipartisan way on things people care about. If there was interest in getting something done in a bipartisan way going into this new year, uh, what are some areas that you think Democrats and Republicans could agree on? Yeah, I, I think certainly we ought to start with trade, because as you know, um, you know, have to have a strong economy, you have to have three things. One, you have to have a good pro-growth tax code that rewards incentive and makes America the most competitive economy on the planet. That's what the Republican Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did. And we saw the fruits of that. You need workers, uh, not just for the short term, but for the long term without an adequate supply of the workers you need. Our growth will, will never recover to what it could be. And then you need customers. That's where trade comes in. I think America has a moral and an economic obligation to lead on trade, uh, yet we're not. Uh, frankly, we're on the sidelines with what is a de facto moratorium on new free trade agreements by the administration. Um, while China, Europe, Russia, uh, others, Japan, are divvying up the world's customers for their farmers and their manufacturers and their tech companies, we're on the sideline. The good news is we have a lot of bipartisan momentum from the new US-Mexico-Canada agreement under President Trump. We have an excellent US Trade Representative in Catherine Tai. I think there's bipartisan support in Congress for new trade agreements with the UK, certainly uh, with Europe, re-engaging a second comprehensive agreement with Japan. Certainly there's opportunities in Kenya and at the WTO, bipartisan support for reform there as well. And I, and I believe we need a second, a phase two agreement with China. That work isn't finished there. And at the, at the beginning of all that, uh, a president, every president deserves trade promotion authority, the power to negotiate agreements on Congress's behalf to our objectives and goals. Without that, and the president at this point doesn't seem to have an interest in it. Without that, our trading partners know America is not serious about, about engaging. So I would start with trade because I think it's an economic uh, issue that works to our advantage. I also think there's a lot of momentum we could build off of. And I, I'd be eager to work with this president on, tr on opening trade and gaining more customers for Made in America products. And I want to get to the issue of the coronavirus, especially as the Omicron variant is still surging in the United States. You recently said that the Biden administration and congressional Democrats had taken the eye off the ball when it came to testing and that Americans were frustrated. How would you compare the Trump administration's approach to COVID versus the Biden administration's? Well, obviously, I think they, were, they came started in two different places. Obviously, we knew nothing about COVID and what it could do from a health standpoint or an economic standpoint 
or an isolation uh, standpoint. Uh, and so every day was a learning uh, experience with the Trump administration. They moved quickly. Uh, Congress did in a bipartisan way to address COVID, both from a healthcare standpoint and, and helping save jobs in local businesses. I think that, frankly, those two bipartisan bills uh, were the high point of, uh, of uh, working together on this. 2021 saw a different approach. It was a go it alone approach and the nearly $2 trillion uh, COVID stimulus had very little money devoted really to the pandemic. I think, uh, I think the president took his eye off the ball, got distracted from this health pandemic and wasn't prepared for what we knew would be variants. What we didn't know was what they would look like, how, would they, how severe they would be, uh, or uh, how it would affect those of us who are vaccinated. And so I think the president's been uh, terribly slow in reacting, certainly not addressing the issues, whether they're uh, the mononuclear uh, um, uh, bodies or the, um, uh, the testing uh, supplies for the country right now. He's scrambling uh, to try to make up some ground there, but I, I don't think he's handled it well at all. And now I think um, the public's worried about what's, what's coming next. If you can't handle what turned out to be a less severe, um, but quickly moving variant, will we be prepared? Will the president be prepared uh, when another one comes along? And former President Trump in an interview with NPR this morning uh, just sort of spliced through some of the, the disinformation that we've been seeing about vaccines and said uh, that he was vaccinated and boosted and recommended that all Americans do the same. Is that a recommendation that you agree with? You know, I do. And I recommend that to my constituents back home, encourage them, look, to talk to a doctor, talk to someone you trust. You know, it is a personal decision, but yeah, in the and I, I continue to urge that um, uh, back home individually. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how many I've convinced uh, with that encouragement, but I'll continue to do so. And your colleague Marjorie Taylor Greene just came out yesterday and accused the government of withholding Invermectin treatment for COVID, uh, which is not a scientifically supported treatment uh, and said that some of her colleagues also had taken it uh, as a remedy. What's your response to that? Is that, have, have you taken Ivermectin? Is this something that uh, you would agree with? Yes, so I have not. Uh, I know others back home uh, where I live in Texas have and had good results from that and frankly swear to uh, how quickly it allowed them to recover. I had a conversation um, uh, this weekend uh, with someone who had that experience. And so I think, look, it is important, especially uh, in a pandemic like this with all these emerging variants, look to be open to the types of treatments that can address this while we're also developing some of the major overall, whether they are the vaccines or the actual treatment pills as well. I think, I think everyone would agree that uh, there is a lot of distrust about exactly what the science is. There seems to be conflicting opinions from the CDC and the administration day by day. It is a very confusing message. message. And for me, back home, as I try to explain what the new guidance is, it often conflicts with, with 
concurrent guidance and new guidance. And so I think they're really, I think the administration is also uh, driving a greater distrust and a confusion about how we handle variants like Omicron. And, and they really need to get their act together on this because this may well not be the final variant that we have to deal with. I want to get to more personal topic for you. You've represented Texas's 8th Congressional District since 1997. That's 13 terms. You've worked with five different presidents. How has the Republican Party changed during your tenure in Washington? Well, um, Congress has changed during my tenure in Congress, but, but I'll tell you this one. I love my job. Uh, I love uh, who I work with and respect a lot of lawmakers on both sides now and in the truth. You know, I have a lot of faith in Congress in this institution. I think there is a, what I like to call a middle class uh, of lawmakers, people in both party who come up uh, each day. Uh, they work very hard, try to do the right thing, represent their district, and are looking for ways to solve problems together. You know, you don't see them every day. You don't hear about them every day because they're not necessarily extreme. They are doing their work. And I think if we could introduce more of America to that middle class in Congress, there'd be a greater faith in, in who we are and our ability to solve real problems. I think both parties have changed a lot and have changed um, significantly and will continue to do that and continue to do so. And you announced this past April that you wouldn't be running for a 14th term next uh, this year. Why are you leaving Congress? Yes, so um, I, I do love this job and I, I, I fear that I would do it forever uh, because I think you can make such a, I had the opportunity to make, change the lives of every American for the better uh, with tax reform uh, and in a number of other provisions uh, that we've had. Um, but 26 years is enough. Uh, it's been a remarkable privilege. And so, uh, yeah, it is time. Uh, I'm not returning to Texas. I never left it. Uh, I'm looking forward to whatever that new adventure might be. Uh, but I, the truth is, look, I'm leaving Congress the way I came into it, which is a, an absolute belief. This is the greatest country on earth. And Congress has the ability to address these problems. I'm absolutely convinced uh, of it. So, um, yeah, I'm also excited about the future. You know, I think in no, this coming November, America, frankly, is uh, going to um, make a change in the leadership of the House and, and perhaps the Senate as well. Uh, return those checks and balances uh, to government, uh, hopefully, uh, in a way that President Biden will, you know, change his course and begin to work with us on these big challenges. And you segue perfectly to my next question. Uh, you seem pretty confident that Republicans are going to win in midterms and, and take back the Senate and the House this coming November. Um, do you agree with what the president said this morning, that it is a good idea to continue to relitigate the results of the 2020 election? Is that a winning issue for the Republican Party? Well, look, I think um, first, January 6th was a shameful moment in our history. We shouldn't dismiss it, nor should it be exploited for political gain. It ought to be a teachable moment. I was hoping it would cause our country and our leaders to step back and stand down uh, from the political violence we saw 
uh, in 2020. Uh, uh, the political violence of the looting and the rioting and anarchy that cost 30 Americans their lives, as well as what happened on January 6th. I thought this was an opportunity for a truly independent commission made up, not influenced by Congress, but independent, respected Americans who could identify the causes and the sources of the political violence uh, that, that, that uh, ran through 2020 and then on January 6th. Um, unfortunately, we will never see a true picture uh, of what led up to this. We'll see one party's take on it. I think there'll be very little opportunity to work together and heal uh, as a country. And I think that was a, a, frankly, is a missed opportunity. And I want to get back to the January 6th committee, but do you think it's a disadvantage for Republicans to keep talking about 2020 and the 2020 election in 2022? Well, I think for Democrats, their hope is to put uh, January 6th and President Trump on the ballot this coming November, but they'll fail at that because the Americans, it will be President Biden and congressional Democrats who are on the ballot, frankly, uh, from a political standpoint, Americans don't like what they've seen uh, in states like Texas, where Democrats, you know, applauded uh, uh, Joe Biden coming within five points of President Trump. His approval rating is at 32 percent right now in Texas. Every element, frankly, of the country, from the left to the right in the middle, are bitterly disappointed about his performance and what they're seeing coming out of Congress that, that does nothing to make their lives better. And so uh, that's what's going to be on the ballot uh, in November. I'm, I'm confident in the House as Republicans were absolutely united uh, against the socialist agenda and the damage it's doing. And I think we'll go into these elections united as well with a very positive message about if this president wants to work together, what we can do, frankly, to repair the damage that he's done in the country, but more importantly, rebuild, for example, an economy or restore an economy, maybe even stronger than one America enjoyed before COVID. And, and I just want to clarify, it was former President Trump who said just this morning that he thought it was an issue that he won, that the 2020 election was rigged, that Republicans should run on. But do you agree with Senator Mike Rounds that the former uh, president did, in fact, lose the 2020 election? And, and per a statement he released, that there isn't new information nor evidence of widespread fraud that have altered the results of that election? Jack, and let, let me just tell you that I've answered this for the past year, and I'm focused on the, the coming year. Uh, the truth of the matter is, I think the greatest threat to democracy has, has been over the last 20 years, more and more Americans have lost faith in election results. It began with the Bush and Gore election. It began where Democrat leaders challenged the results uh, of the electoral slates of President Bush twice and President Trump. I think you saw this uh, in the polling. Before November, 60% of Americans said they didn't completely trust the results of the election. It's probably a bigger number now. I think that ought to be a red flag, especially when you've seen, while I know President Trump is criticized on this election, it was it was a former President Carter, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden himself during his campaign for president 
called President Trump's election illegitimate. Illegitimate. So you had leaders of the Democrat Party as well setting the tone and saying the exact same things that undermine election trust. And so I really believe we're making a mistake in both parties not to understand we, we ought to be working together to, to make sure people do have trust in these elections. Right, but we are talking about this past election, the 2020 election, and, and the former president is the one who does keep repeating false claims about our voting. Well, we are, we are, you are talking about that. I understand that this is something our Democrats and, and some of the media want to continue to focus on, uh, but that's pretty selective standards, I think, ignoring the contributions of the Democratic Party to distrust in elections, uh, in which they have played, I think, a major role, and in fact, set the tone for some of what we're seeing today. I've made a personal and legislative decision to focus on stopping what I think is a very dangerous agenda from the Biden administration that really, as we can tell from the inflation numbers, the border crisis, the crime crisis in America, and now uh, the, the weakening of America standing around the world. That's what I'm spending, these tax hikes. That's where I've decided to vote my time. And I think that's for me, and uh, certainly my constituents, exactly the right place to focus. Right, and I know you said that you have answered this previously, but I just am wondering if we can get a clear answer just yeah, right now. Yeah, Jacqueline, I, I have over and over. Just Google it. Uh, and, uh, and you'll see, but I think this is a game of gotcha, political gotcha that frankly, you know, I, I know some love this stuff, but back home, you know, people, people already on their lives, they want to know what the answers are to this inflation, to this economy, to the crime and the border crisis. Um, and that's where I think, frankly, the country ought to best spend their time. Congressman, I'm, I'm not trying to play gotcha with you. There's just there are countless audits happening in uh, swing yeah. states across the country right now that are, have been directed by Republicans. And a GOP-led ballot review in Arizona just came out. Yeah, a few and weeks Jacqueline, ago. I understand. Look, there is, um, and there have been improvements in my view. Some of the states have taken on uh, areas of the election to make sure that uh, we make it easier, like Texas, to make it easier to vote. Uh, and tougher to cheat, uh, actions which, frankly, I think will help restore trust in elections. Uh, I wish more state legislatures were doing that, just as Florida did after the Bush-Gore election, pull back the curtain, uh, both parties, to find out how do we make sure we're doing this the right way and building that confidence. I'd like to see more of that continue. Uh, again, you know, while we are dueling each other over uh, imaginary claims of voter suppression. We ought to be focused on, you know, again, election integrity in a bipartisan way, I think would serve the country so much better. And I want to ask you about Donald Trump. He continues to be extremely popular amongst Republicans. Do you want to see him as the party's nominee in 2024? Well, you what, one, uh, he, as you know, very strong candidate because of his performance uh, in office. Uh, I will tell you personally, uh, I deeply enjoyed working with him on, you know, rewriting America's tax code because of what we accomplished, lifted millions of Americans out of poverty, uh, drove up the wages for people of color 
some cases by 70 or 80 percent higher than under President Obama and Joe Biden. We made America the most competitive economy on the planet and provided good jobs for a lot of Americans who've been left behind under the old tax code. I enjoyed working with the president on that, uh, on trade and a lot of the economic issues. Uh, he knows where he wants to go. And I think those policies of President Trump, whether it is, is strong borders, uh, rebuilding the military, taking China on head on, uh, making sure those who've made mistakes get a second chance, you know, coming out of prison, issues like that. I think our policies that Republicans continue to support in, in strong ways, and we should. And our, our last question before we have to wrap up today, on March 1st, President Biden's going to deliver his State of the Union address, the last one you'll ever attend as a member of Congress. What would you like to hear from him? You know, I would, um, I'd like him to admit that he hasn't really followed through on his promise to the American people of competent leadership in bipartisan problem solving. Uh, that's nowhere to have been seen in the first year. And as a result, I think Americans of all stripes are just bitterly disappointed in his performance. Uh, I think he should acknowledge that veering so hard to the left has hurt his standing, certainly the Democrat Party, and that he's willing to fr start fresh with Republicans on the major challenges facing this country. That's what I'd like to hear him say. And I'm one of those uh, Republicans, and I think there are others, who uh, would be willing uh, to try to work together on some of these major challenges. And unfortunately, Congressman, we're all out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. But thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm Jackie Alamani. As always, thanks so much for watching. To check out what interviews we have coming up, please head to WashingtonPostLive.com and find more information about all of our upcoming programs. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.